Hi, I'm Laura Allen. And I'm Liv Austin. And between us, we are a songwriter, actor, singer, producer, and the hosts of My Amazing Mess, a podcast where we talk to creatives who are right in the middle of developing their own unique careers. They are totally honest with us about what it takes to pursue their dream job. The exciting highs, the disheartening lows, and the amazing mess that is everything in between. Knew it would nail that. Hi everyone, it's Liv here. This is it. This is the last episode of Series 1. Still just the beginning, but it is the end of Series 1 of My Amazing Mess. We'd love to hear from you. So if you want to get in touch, you can comment on one of the posts on myamazing.mess, which is the Instagram. You can email us at admin at myamazingmess.com. If there's a creative profession that you are curious about, and we haven't interviewed someone who does that yet, We are now in the stages of planning and interviewing people for series two. So this is the time to get in touch. This final episode is a double interview, uh, if you will. I interview Laura first about her journey and what's going on for her right now. And this is going to change so quickly. So it'll be interesting to come back and do the same at the end of series two. And then she goes on to interview me. We have a little swapsie of seats. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Thank you so much again to all of you who have joined our journey. If you've just discovered us, then you've got a whole series of stuff to catch up on. So what are you waiting for? Go to the first episode and then come back to this one. So without further ado, actor-producer Laura Allen and singer-songwriter-slash-actor Liv Austin. So today... I'm sat here with Laura Allen. Hello. <laughs> Hello. It's so nice to have you in the interviewee chair. I actually really am in the interviewee chair. We yeah. normally sit side by side and have our interviewee in the comfy chair. And um, yeah, I'm sitting in the comfy chair with my legs up, I have to say. <laughs> I thought I'm going to make myself extremely comfy. <laughs> I've got loads of space here now I for know. the first time. I could play footsie with you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know, there's still time. <laughs> We've got to do this properly, you know, because the interview has to be in the in the good chair. Yeah, sure. It feels different. It does feel different. Yeah. <laughs> so what we thought was that the last episode of the series, we were going to talk to each other, um, partly for people to kind of know a bit more about who we are uh, and how we've ended up here, <laughs> but also to kind of round up the series, I think, and talk about maybe what we've learned from it or or how we feel about it now as opposed to when we started and stuff. So this is kind of weird because, well, I mean, we've had some training in it now interviewing people that we know, but but this is really interesting to me to interview you who I know so well. So for people who don't know you as well as I do, can you just tell us a bit about what it is that you do and how you kind of got there like you you, you're an actor mainly but you do a lot of other things too which we will get into definitely how did you end up with a love for for theater and and acting it's kind of it's an interesting one because it's it's trying to work out if it's chicken and egg situation so when I was um really really young two three my dad took me to uh, ballet lessons around the corner in the local church hall and um singing groups and things like that and so I also did other things like swimming lessons and tennis lessons which I was terrible at I got told I played (laughs) tennis like a ballerina so I couldn't hit the ball but I could run around with pointed toes I mean that was it um and then 
uh, I think I did do a, a show. I was at some sort of stage school at age probably four, something like that, with my cousins. There's terrible footage of me uh, with the patch over my eyes, a pirate with the other eye half shut because I've got a patch on the other one with a fake moustache. It was all terrible. Um, so I think I was in shows before any big shows, but I, it was, re- and I don't know if we have talked about this in any of our chats previously. It's going to be interesting to see how much I repeat myself. Um, but I was, I, used to, I went to a, a singing group, the Finchie Children's Music Group, I think it's called, which I think still exists. And we basically, my parents took me there and I was learning to sing and sing as a group. And there was a casting director looking for children to be in a new production of The Who's musical Tommy. And if if you kind of notice any shows that kind of transfer from Broadway or from London to Broadway, they I don't know if they still do it as much, but I know typically then they kind of try and match the casts, you know, look-wise and sound-wise. And um, the American cast, the Tommy, the older Tommy, has black hair, very pale skin, is all dressed in white. And uh, the story is that as a child, he becomes deaf, dumb and blind. So they were looking for children that were very still. And me, as a young five-year-old, was pretty still. Quite, I have a naturally quite straight face. And just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And they, they approached my parents and said, could I come for an audition? Because I do have black hair. You'll see in our promo footage that I am the, the brunette of us two. So yeah, they they approached my parents and said, can you bring her for an audition? And I went for, I think it was only two auditions. And I, my parents always say it was the weirdest thing because they were surrounded by stage school kids and stage school parents. And I was there kind of like sucking my thumb, like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing here. Um... I think at five as well, you're not you're not truly aware of, of what's happening. You just kind of go with the flow. But I do weirdly from that time remember a huge amount. And long story short is I got the part um, and I was in the original cast. So I, I feel genuinely privileged to have had the six week rehearsal period as well. Because once they get going, you know, the, the other kids that come in after a few months have to swap over. They don't get that same kind of family feel with the company because they're not learning it all with them the company are there to kind of rehearse the kids parts in and unlike things like Les Miserables if anyone's you know the cosettes I think they go home at half time I don't think they I don't think they get to bow at the end I I was very fortunate in the in the show I was in where it was me and then the Tommy grows I played young Tommy at age four but I was about six when I got the job and then it the Tommy grows up so there was a boy about 10 and then um the main Tommy who was at that, at that age he was about 19 and I was in the show for three or four months in total of kind of rehearsals and being in it and I think they've changed it now but it, there was only two changeovers so it was me and uh, another actress who actually has done very well for herself now Danny Harmer she plays um or played Tracy Beaker on TV and stuff so we we were each other's Tommies when I was off on one day she'd be on the next day and I did about four shows a week I think for a few months and honestly from there that's why I'll never know now whether it was would I've always got into it without that I don't know um I think so I think you kind of are naturally uh, interested in what you're good at. Um, I was always very musical, played instruments all, all the way through primary school and got in uh, to my secondary school with a music place and played music, but always thought I wanted to do the acting professionally and had the privilege as well to see other close family friends do go on to do it a few years ahead of me and saw that they went to drama schools and, and got the pr- proper training. So that was w- always what I had in my head. So yeah that was it started auditioning for drama school eventually got in took me three years so I'm a I'm a big advocate for if it's a no the first time keep going um 
and now yeah here I am six years out of drama school still struggling um but yeah so I don't know yeah I genuinely don't know it's something I'm thinking about quite a lot at the moment how did how did I am I doing it because I think it's what I meant to do or am I doing it because I I love it I think it's because I love it a lot of people probably should ask themselves like how did I get into it what is the I this is something I find really fascinating too what is the idea that drives us to do something especially when it's like a creative goal and uh, there is so much struggle and there's so much stuff around it that's maybe not fun but you have this one idea that's just stronger than everything else and you kind of go where did that even come from like why is that so strong in my mind and I think it's cool hearing you talk about you know being that young because I go wow yeah because it was so young that it formed your reality I guess of of life like being in a six-week rehearsal of a show was just like because when you're five everything is new so everything's like okay I guess I'm going to school now I guess I'm doing this now and so it was so early that it kind of became a very natural thing yeah it's it honestly it's I genuinely think a lot of my training came from that time and I I go back to it a lot and my parents like we can't talk about Tommy again <laughs> um <laughs> but uh, it's really precious to me because um the director was Des McEnough who who's gone on to I mean he, he's done loads of things but more recently Jersey Boys was in the West End for years and years and years and if anyone has seen that or is familiar with his style of direction it is so tight and structured there's no one that's just walking off the stage if they're walking off the stage it's kind of on like a two three four count they're, they're so slick the whole style is slick and and I wasn't you know in something like uh, I don't know Annie with loads of kids it was only me and then the older kid so we were really focused on making sure out we were moving in the right way and it was a I, I really genuinely think it was a real training it wasn't like learn your lines and get off I mean I didn't have any lines I had a, no I did I had two lines um but but the the character was deaf dumb and blind so I didn't say much I had to be very still and learn when things went wrong I mean things it, the set at the time was quite new in its in its era I think of I mean we're talking it's 1996 and all the uh, scenery now like slid on and came down from above and that was quite a new thing rather than having you know stagehands bring things on so things got stuck and things happened so at age six you're learning how to how to technically be on stage which is quite I, yeah I really do think a, a lot of it has has shaped the way I am as a performer now definitely so that's that's uh quite important too like you're learning to deal with whatever happens in front of an audience how do you do you get nervous on stage or are you kind of like well whatever happens I can I can deal with it I I don't know if I've ever told you this story we were training at drama school together which people will know by now if you've listened to the series (laughs) I think we say it in every episode (laughs) um but we the first real we did in our second year at the end of the year you do your first production to an audience invited audience rather than just you know the school other students and teachers but in our third year it was the first production we were doing a production of the gut girls which uh, pj who we had on earlier in the series did the set design for and and the the opening of the show i had to it was it's a really small theater the the theater the mill theater in in guildford and i was the first person that walked onto stage and i had to walk on kind of as the audience was still kind of mumbling like it wasn't a kind of the lights go down and we go on and i had to wait for a a red light to go green or a green light to go red I don't know to say 
we're ready for you. The crew are ready for you. Go, you, Laura, you start, start singing and walk on. And it was the first night and I was standing and I was like, I'm like, I'm going to be sick. Like, I- I'm ill. Like, so- something's wrong. I am totally ill. And our friend Sophie, I remember her being like, you're not, you're fine. You're just panicking, just nervous. And I was like, no, 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 I'm going to be, oh my God, I'm going to be sick. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I had a sip of water and I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to have to go on. And as soon as I went on, everything was fine. So I know that it was real nerves. And I don't remember ever getting that nervous before, but there was some sort of weight in what we were doing. It was our final year we were performing and I really did get nervous. And I think every show I've done since, yeah, depend. it depends actually on what the part is. If I've got a really big, important part, I get more nervous than if I'm kind of dancing around in the background. I get excited nerves, but when there's pressure and weight involved in kind of, if I go wrong, it all goes wrong. Yeah, I do still get nervous, I think, but not when I'm on stage. It's always before, always before. I think Judy Dame Judy Dench always says that as well. When she's waiting in the wings, she's like, why am I doing this still? And she's had, a you know, an amazing career. So I think it happens to the best of us or all of us. Yeah, what is that feeling? It's so bizarre, the amount of people who say, yeah, I get nervous beforehand. Me included. I get nervous beforehand. Very, very nervous. And then on stage, it usually goes away. I think it's it's like anything. It makes sense to me that before it, you're kind of not in control of it because it hasn't happened yet. Whereas when you're in it, you're living it. You're like, okay, I, I've got the reins. I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in preparation is the key. If I know what I'm doing, I'm, I always have, you know, I start a rehearsal process. I always have the dream that I go on stage and we haven't learnt the lines yet or I don't know what I'm doing. But as long as we've had the good rehearsal and I know what I'm doing, there's always something to fall back on in the fact that I know the part well enough that it, I've had it more happen since when I went on tour and I got to do, it was the first time of doing a show more than just for a week long run or a three week long run. It was six months of doing it two, three times a day. So you do get really familiar with what you're doing. And sometimes it's a bit of autopilot, which is not your friend. Um, But if you forget your lines in that situation, I think I learned as I went through, you can get out of it because you know, you know roughly what it is, what's happening. But I think, yeah, the the inexperience or the lack of preparation is what makes me nervous, I think. If you can visualise what's going to happen and if you know that every bit of it you can control then it's fine but it's just it's a lack of control especially with live you know with theater and live shows that you don't know how people are going to react and all that sort of stuff but so you uh you were in a professional show you were that young you're in a professional show you realized that acting was what you wanted to do and, and your life kind of took that path fairly early on from what I understand and then as you say it took you three years to get into drama school that must have been such a surprise to you that it was that hard to get into drama school for someone like you who already had that experience I think there was a part of me that looking back I think I was aware I wasn't ready when I started auditioning and I think I knew it was very difficult to get in especially when you're straight out of school at 18 it's quite unlikely to get in because they want they're looking for life experience in in people they're looking for a variety of, of different things I think but I didn't get in the first year but I did get a foundation place which I took at drama center for a year which was a lot of money I then had a gap it didn't get in again after that but actually looking back it, it kind of gave me I would say the foundation of training in the right way because then when I did get in to GSA, the Guildford School of Acting, I felt ready to just dive in and, and be be open to anything they were going to say that we had to do. But the rejection is real, like the, the not getting in, not even getting recalls sometimes or 
and you have again it's the control of oh I had in my head always I was going to go to Lambda London Academy of Music and Drama or whatever it's called because my friend Adam had gone there and I'd seen their productions so I was like well I'll go to Lambda then (laughs) and it's the reality is sometimes it's not the right fit for you I tried there three times and I think the first time they wanted to see me for the foundation but I didn't get in for the foundation course and then the more I auditioned there, the less I liked it there. And and it wasn't that it's a bad training. Obviously, amazing people have come out of there and people I know who've gone there who've loved it. But it's like any relationship, isn't it? It's a if you feel right there and if they're right for you and, and all the rest of it. And also if you're ready. And I think by the time that I felt ready to get in, I knew I knew it would I'd get in. My mum said to me, it'll be like buses. You know, you know, nothing will happen. And then three will come along. And that's exactly what happened. Three came along right at the end. It was like my last three that I ever auditioned for. And that just kind of reiterates that idea that you were ready. So then suddenly stuff comes to you. Yeah, but it's the most frustrating thing because I, I, I now teach students who want to go to drama school and it's so difficult to explain to somebody that it will just click but you can't make it click which is a really frustrating thing when you're trying to get in you want to you want your life to start now of course you do I think that's what I remember when I was applying was that I just wanted to I just wanted to get in I hated having to wait the whole another year to audition and I remember thinking but when I'm a professional actress it won't matter because I can audition for things all the time haha <laughs> little did I know <laughs> now I'd love to try and audition for drama school again but yeah it, that's it. things always seem like they're the end of the world when you're in them and I remember speaking to friends who will still say to me I remember that time when you were like I'm never gonna get in and then I got in and I'm so glad I did at the right time you know if I'd have got in the year before I wouldn't have met you wouldn't be sitting here right now and that that is something I always think about with everything in life I'm like well it's timing and it's it's a bit of everything luck timing and if you're prepared and if you're ready and all the rest of it so yeah it's really hard to kind of pinpoint exactly what it is but it's some kind of energy that you know we we find each other but you um you went to drama school did three years how was that for you did it differ to to how you'd expected it to be in many ways it exceeded expectations I think I always knew that I was good enough to do it but I never really I couldn't see where I was going to suddenly excel at certain things and I think when I was training I found moments where I did and I think it's good and healthy to accept those bits where you're like you know what actually um something is clicking here and it's working and then there were other times that were really stressful and I wasn't getting it and I found comedy quite hard I loved it when I got it right and and tortured myself when I got it wrong thrived in other things and that's another thing I went into it thinking well, at least I can sing. <laughs> I remember going, because we, we went on the acting course, not on the musical theatre course. And I remember thinking, I- even if I'm not the best actor there, I'll be I'll be the, the best singer because I can I can hold a tune. We The first lesson we ever did, everyone was amazing. And I had a cold and I was like, oh no, <laughs> not, even, not even one of the good singers. <laughs> so yeah, it was a more, it was a more um, reality check three years, I think, in many ways. But I'm so glad I did it. I think that you can do anything you want in any way that you want so if you don't get into drama school you can still make it happen for yourself I totally believe that but for me personally I remember thinking I'm gonna keep going until I get in because I felt like I needed the foundation and the tools to be able to use to then have a long lustrous career you know I I wanted to to not doubt myself method wise I guess if there is any method to follow but it doesn't have to be that way so um 
you know if i if i really hadn't got in i'd have made it happen i think but i'm I'm glad i trained definitely and for the people i've met yeah then you graduate and as everyone who graduates from drama school you think that you're going to be the one who is never starving and never waiting for a job or was it like that because because i know for me i'm like yeah it's going to be hard i know everyone's telling me it's going to be hard but (laughs) oh i remember we were in a lesson once and one of our teachers said i mean i know that you're all sitting here thinking that you're going to be the one that all happens for but he was like you don't actually think that's going to happen do you and i remember thinking in my head yeah (laughs) i just thought of course i'm gonna go out and work why wouldn't i i'm good i know what i'm doing but it's it's not about that is it you know what actually i will say i'm very fortunate i came out of drama school without an agent i will make that very clear i read something today on a facebook group there's a group called bossy and someone had posted saying I can't seem to get an agent. Does anyone have any advice or something? And I, I didn't post because everyone had posted the same things. But if you're listening, <laughs> um, yeah, and I came out without an agent and was really lucky. I, I had all my things on all different casting websites and Spotlight as the, the CV breakdown and managed to, someone found me and asked me to audition for their play, which was crazy and got that gig and then through that got an agent and then it's kind of all tumbled on since then. And it's actually the first three years I'd say were the most exciting I've had. It's been very slow since for the two years after that. It's only this year that I, I have taken it into my own hands to kickstart it again. So yeah, it was kind of, I di- wasn't making any big money. I did a lot of fringe free work, which I'm in two minds about. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking, you know, it's a good thing to get started and meet those right people and make those connections and have the credits on your CV. But also there has to be a point where we're not working for free anymore. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like the mid ground of the person that came out and has worked and met great people. I've, I've met you know people that have said to me oh god you always are doing something whereas I think I'm doing nothing so yeah it's it's ups and downs but um I don't think I came out thinking I was going to suddenly be on the West End stage or in a big Hollywood film but then I also hoped I'd be doing a bit more than maybe I have so I don't I don't know I'm still I'm still tumbling through it I don't know you're in the middle of it yeah that's why we're catching it now this this year and, and last year you you've been doing some really interesting things and you're your focus has uh, not shifted but you've kind of opened maybe your your ideas to to what you can do and where your talents are where your interests are maybe more more importantly do you want to talk a little bit about what you've been doing sure um so the the brief story of it is a few years ago i had an agent but the agency themselves um were a cooperative agency which means they're representing you but you they're all actors and we all kind of help each other go and get work and you had to go into the office and I was sitting in the office one day kind of actually seeing what comes through into an agent's inbox of you know auditions that they can put their actors up for and I was like there is nothing really for me apart from you know low paid fringe work or you know all these other things or second prostitute from the left um which which as a curvaceous young girl is what you do go up for quite a bit which is fine also that's fine if that's what's you know that that's what's calling but I wanted more than that so I was whinging to my mum and I will say not everybody has this position where they can go to their mum who who can write and say um there's nothing coming in and she kind of was like well I need a project I'll write something and uh so I just thought okay she's gonna write me like a little 20 minute play that I can go and do in a pub somewhere and she wrote the pilot episode of a sitcom and I read it and I was like uh 
it's amazing but what do I do with it? I hadn't got a clue. I genuinely, I think, I always say this because she, she thinks I wasn't really interested in it. And it wasn't that. I just thought, okay, amazing. But I, I don't know how you film something or get it made or any of those things. So we had it. We And she'd written it for all my friends in it because she'd heard all our funny stories about auditions and dating and all the rest of it. So she'd written, eventually, she's actually written the first three episodes of a six-part series and um we had cast read-throughs because we cast it but again I didn't know where to take it and then had a really low year I don't know when it was a couple of years ago now I'm trying to think where we are of where kind of everything felt felt like it was falling apart um nothing overly drastic just nothing was happening and I think they do say sometimes that you have to hit the low to pull yourself back up again but I remember thinking I've got to make this happen. I've been sitting on this script for so long. And uh, initially my mum was going to help to make it. And she kind of said, look, I'm handing it to you. You do what you want with it. I'm just the writer. You do what you want. And I think eventually I just said, right, we're doing it. I just said it to too many people. And I had to had to then kind of stay true to my word. And the thing to do, I guess, was book the dates of when we were going to film it. And really that's that's how it got made. I booked the dates and then fit the puzzle of getting everybody in the right place at the right time to film it. But I will be really honest in saying that without the script, it would never have happened. So really, I have the script to thank for it. But yeah, we made the pilot episode. And now it's a, a case of trying to get it sold and made. So who knows, by the end of series two, we might have more more update on that. But yeah, I've really, I've just been making things and I think making that first thing making that pilot episode I mean I'm proud of it but it's not anything to really shout from the rooftops about I just did what a lot of people can do which is put your mind to something and get the people that you know around you to help you make it but it's proved to me that I can finish something I can make something which has now spurred me on to want to move more into actor producing as well because then you realize you've got control you've got like a way of making your own work which is really what we're all doing it for is to be able to act and do all the things we love doing and you realize that you actually have an act for it you know because because you did put it all together and just there's such a lesson in that as well I always wanted to stop and go like listen to this guys she just booked the dates it's, then it had to happen because yeah. you were involving other people in it and you go guys can I have you for these dates and then you have to follow through. And I think there are so many times that we think of stuff that we want to do, but, well, I haven't got time now. I mean, I can't do it now because now it's really busy with so-and-so or I'm working tons, you know. But then if you just go, well, in two months' time or whatever, uh, we're going to be shooting this or we're going to be recording this, whatever it might be, and then get, get people involved and then you kind of have to do it, right? It's, I think, and I'm so in, so excited to interview you in a second because <laughs> I want to hear about everything that you do, but it is the scariest thing in the world to say, no, I actually did book the dates. It's actually happening. There's something in the dates I realise for me is, is a mind focuser. It's kind of like, okay, that's the end goal is that we'll all be there on those. And it was three days we filmed for. And then I was like, okay, I don't have... Oh, I should also pre-say that about a year running up to actually me booking the dates, I had teamed up with uh, Jane Moriarty, who we interviewed as well. And we and she'd been really great because I initially would, lo would have loved her to have been there to direct it, but she got another a job. So we'd kind of... I just approached her because I needed a partner. So 
it's very good to team up with people that you like and that are good at what they do and we had meetings with people for the first time where I started talking to people about the script and talking about what I might need that gave me a really good sense of of actually what it would take to put this project together of who I needed on the set and where I was going to find these types of people but I still had nobody (laughs) apart from the cast members that said they wanted to do it and then you know Jane got another job but it was at that time that I had booked the dates I say booked the dates I just had in my head I'm going to do it on these dates and I'd emailed everyone saying it was going to happen but by that time you know the fact that Jane couldn't do it I had to find someone else and I think it was the booking the dates means that you kind of let go a little bit of oh is it the right thing to do and oh should I should I stay loyal to saying I've got to do it she completely understood she was like well I said to her look I've got to make it happen got to make it go now and it was the same thing when an actor had to drop out unfortunately of a part and it wasn't that long until we were about to shoot I think I was with you Liv and we were meant to be having a relaxing girly dinner and I was like no guys I've, I'm sorry I've got to email and try and find this sort this out so I think yeah the the dates is <laughs> is the thing for me yeah because then you start backtracking and going like well I have to have that sorted at least a week before uh, and that's now three weeks away so and then you kind of your brain starts working in a different way instead of just and and the more people you talk to about anything that you're doing as well, that's what they say about like working out and all that sort of stuff. Like tell people that you're doing it because then you have to then you have to follow through. <laughs> Not me. Normally I'm like, guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna be really tall and skinny by the summer. <laughs> she says eating an Easter egg. <laughs> well, there's balance too. Yeah, exactly. You know, you have to enjoy yourself. <laughs> but I think I found it so interesting to to observe you doing it I remember that dinner with a third friend of ours and and we were just you were apologizing for being on your laptop and you know sorting uh, call sheets and stuff and I just said no don't because I love seeing you like this you are so driven and there's a purpose to this I was talking to to John my partner this morning because there was this test that came up that said are you a workaholic and all the questions kind of they didn't really fit in with actually doing what you love because it's like do you mix you know your your personal life and your work and that sort of stuff and you go well yeah because I, I do what I love and a night like that when you're sat there sort of trying to make this production happen it, I'm not going to go you are a workaholic you are completely obsessed with this it's like it's great that you're obsessed with it you want to make it happen you know yeah again I will say it was having the dates made me okay to be a workaholic because especially in a creative environment you feel like you can never really stop because if you haven't achieved anything you shouldn't stop because it's not achieved yet whereas for me I loved that I had an end date so I could throw all my energy into it because I knew that once I'd finished that bit I could I could breathe and then you know then work on the next bit very important point too that you have set the dates for something that you're going to do whatever happens on those dates you have done your best to make it happen and then after that you can actually say to yourself well that was the project that I was working towards instead of constantly which I think I see a lot with creatives and self-employed people we have something that we would like to do sometime in the future and it's kind of hanging over us but we're not really getting there so it's a constant kind of guilty thing instead of actually being like oh yes I just need to yeah we're, we're doing this at the end of you know August or whatever and and so I've just got to get it done and after that I can relax for a bit because I think that's just like any other job if you have a project and after you've done that project you can kind of go okay it's back to normal now so I think we need to allow ourselves that too like going back to normal and going back to 
slightly less stressful. Yeah, absolutely. Because it can't always be, you know, like working, working, working towards a project. So no, yeah. exa- exactly that. And especially as a as a performer in some way, I'm sure if anyone's listening that's had this in, and for you as well, that the actual job part of all those things, like getting a play or a musical or a film or a gig or whatever it is, the job thing is the bit that everyone else will relate to as work. And they're, they're the fun bits because then you can you know, throw your energy in, then you finish on a certain date. But for the rest of life, it's that constant grind of applying for auditions, trying to find the right, it's it's that constant, yeah, which is, I think, slightly different from other industries in the fact that you can't just clock off. You can, but it's hard to t- remind yourself that you're allowed to clock off, yeah. I'll also say as well, because it's really easy for me, we'll talk to you in a second as well, but it's really easy talking and finding out a bit about you know how I've got here to to see all the great fun bits and th- there's definitely why we started this podcast the two of us is to find out there are highs and there are also lows so there are many moments where I'm, I don't know what I'm doing at all um, I'm still figuring it out but I'm definitely really finding strength in guiding myself into finding my own way of working rather than being kind of dictated by the current acting climate of waiting for the right part to find me and uh, there's a lot of waiting in that and that can be really disheartening so I don't want this podcast which I think we both agree just to be like it's great everything's great because the reality of life is it's not always great I think in whatever you're doing for work it's there are ups and downs but there are the bits where they're really up are so worthwhile and so worth fighting for that if you can find something that you are enjoying doing I never would have thought that producing would have been anything I would even have been good at let alone have enjoyed I am not I'm not an organized person in life particularly I'm one way or the other I'm either absolutely on it or I am totally like not got a clue if I'm coming or going so the fact that I've found that I enjoy it is yeah I'm loving that really loving it also you talking about how you had quite a tough time uh, roughly two years ago and feeling like nothing was really happening and and I wonder you know how much that's actually driven you to find something not to be relentlessly positive but to find something that now you you love and maybe had you just been going steady getting acting work and kind of going from job to job you might not have found that this early on you know because you, you're still very young and you know you're finding now that producing is something that you're interested in and it might be a bit of a blessing would you, oh, do you look at it absolutely like that? absolutely not saying everybody find your lowest moment but not being driven down by that knowing realizing that I don't want to be in that position again really has made me fight harder to make it not happen so make myself busy all the time have another project on the go which is which is a good and a bad thing but yes it it made me realize that I can make things happen I'll also say as well from a sort of sociable point of view I love that it's a talking point when I go out I used to hate people would say oh and so are you an actor and I'd say yes and then they'd say what are you doing and I'd be like oh I'm waiting for the phone to ring or <laughs> and you know not that it's the most exciting thing in the world but it's something to to talk to and the amount of people I have met and spoken to since doing it I've widened my network like double triple than I it was in that couple of years where I was literally waiting for the phone to ring for, for something 
It's like buying the lottery ticket. I just didn't go out and buy the lottery ticket because I just sat there waiting for someone to just give me the money. <laughs> just It's kind of the same thing. I kind of just, yeah, absolutely have found it's much more exciting to be able to swap stories with what you're doing with other people. Where do you see yourself sort of venturing next? What is the next thing that you have no idea what you're going to do? So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to put it on the podcast because I think it's it's a really good one to say out loud because we'll see uh, at series 2 tune in uh, if this actually happened. So I am in talks at the moment of putting on a show, producing a show which I will also be in, which is the double-edged sword in the best way of being like I can get to create it, choose choose the the show, get to be the part I want and also and also be realistic in that I've teamed up with an amazing director who I've worked with for many years and um yeah we're in talks at the moment of of booking the th- again it's the dates thing isn't it we just want to book once I know we book the theatre on those days I mean I know it's all going to happen we'll make it happen but um so yeah I would love to to come back at the end of series two and be a producer I, I'm calling myself at the moment a baby producer I don't know if that's a real term <laughs> I keep saying to people I'm a I'm a baby producer I've done one pilot <laughs> I put on my Instagram producer actor no I'm not I mean I am I am but you know in a baby way I'm I'm baby steps I'm learning but you've got to start somewhere but I would yeah I could really I'd love to see myself um not always necessarily being in them as well I'd love to direct as well but I think that producing thing if I can work out how that realistically works kind of financially and also in in life being able to put things on both on stage and screen and uh in your ears on a podcast so yeah we shall see at the end of series two well we've recorded it now so uh... <laughs> it's good because if it doesn't happen we'll, we'll find we'll out talk about why. why yeah yeah absolutely I'm hopeful. (laughs) Brilliant. So many great nuggets of inspiration in there. And I love talking to you about this. I love talking to you. Thanks for being such a great interviewer. (laughs) It's easy. It's It's weird being on this side of it. Is it? (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of different from the talks that we do, you know, talking about a topic because it's it's removed from 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 you you. yeah well thank you for talking to me laura allen thank you i hope i've warmed the seat up for you because you're on it next (laughs) yay Yay. let's do this (laughs) hi everyone it's live again before we continue this episode i just wanted to tell you about three very simple things that you can do to support my amazing mess Number one, you can subscribe. That way you will always be alerted to new episodes. And especially now that we've come to the end of series one, you will then be alerted when series two is ready for you. So subscribe now wherever you're listening to this. Number two, you can write a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. This is really helpful because it will bump us up the list of podcasts and it will be easier for people to find us. So please leave a review. You can just do the stars, ideally five, that'd be great. Or you can add a few words about what you love about the podcast. Number three, and this is maybe the most important one, you can tell one of your friends about My Amazing Mess. If you know anyone who, for whatever reason, would be interested in this podcast, whether it's about the people learning from your mistakes, whether it's about creative jobs, self-employed life, anything that we've touched on in this series, and there's quite a lot if you've listened to all the episodes, please tell one of your friends. Thank you so much again for listening. If you could do one or all of those three things, we will be eternally grateful to you. And now let's move on with the episode.
So I uh, am joined here in the hot seat uh, with Liv Austin. We have swapped seats, we've swapped places and we have been here before. When I started this podcast, it was a lonesome venture about 18 months ago and uh, I spoke on the phone with Liv and said I wanted to do a podcast, I had this idea and um, Liv helped me come up with a name and I said, can you be my first interviewee? So we sat on, on the bed of your old flat, you were renting a room somewhere and uh, I interviewed Liv on my phone with no microphones and uh, so we've yeah we've been here before. We have been here before and this is uh, mad to think about like what's changed since that time. It, 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 exactly that the whole point of this podcast is being in the middle of stuff and at that point that was where we were then and even now look we're sitting in your lovely studio. Yeah this is a bit better than my one bedroom in uh, not one bedroom flat my one bedroom oh, yeah. <laughs> I just want to point that out yeah of course in in Poplar uh, in East London and but well done to you for just you know just starting it and going I'm gonna record it on my phone it sounded all right you know it sounded, it sounded all right, right. Uh, we have upgraded a <laughs> yeah. bit when it comes to, to well everything I think but you already had the concept then and you had the questions so yeah, here we are. <laughs> I am very, very thrilled that you helped me uh, with it and you are now my, my other half in the Amazing Mess podcast. So yeah, I'm glad we're 18 months on and here we are. So we're, we're kind of interesting because we both trained together, but your path since has been slightly different to mine. You've moved more into music and obviously throughout this whole series, if you've been listening, you'll have, you've heard a little bit about Liv's stuff, but let's go way back for you. So what came first for you, music or acting? It probably was music music first because uh there was so much music in my family nobody was doing it professionally but there was just tons of music on both sides of my family and so I was always singing and I sang in like church choirs from when I was like really young it sounds really weird to say that now I sang in the church choir it just sounds like <laughs> but um but I did and uh just music was a, a huge part of everything whereas acting was maybe not so much a thing that I grew up with I really loved performing so I wanted to do do acting so I kind of found a local sort of drama group and stuff and did that from from fa a fairly young age as well but I think music was first but they kind of came together because I was always wanting to do both that was always the thing I always wanted to do both and I don't really know why I was an incredibly shy child so the fact that I wanted to sing and act but this this is like a recurring theme isn't it so many shy people who want to perform it's so weird it, I, I don't know I, I have no idea of, of why apart from that they can kind of express themselves perhaps in a box in some way like a safe box I, I can perform in this and I can go back to my in my shell being yeah out of it, maybe there is something about that there's like there are kind of some rules to performing that keep you safe that once you're on a stage or something like people can't hurt you or they can't sort of interject and make fun of you or whatever it might mm. be so you are kind of safe there in a way that there's some structure to it but yeah I loved it but I didn't really want to be a solo singer I was very very shy I didn't ever sing solos I was just in the choir and similarly with with acting <laughs> I didn't want to be like the princess or the the lead lady I wanted to be I remember I did this show when I was quite young and um you know the kids were kind of going like I want to be that and I want to be that and and some roles they had to audition for kind of to, to the person leading it because everyone wanted to be like the leads whereas I 
we did the show. And as often happens, I think, when your kids, maybe more girls are into acting than boys. When you get older, it's more 50-50. But we had quite a lot of girls. So we had too many male roles in the play. And there was this one, like, drunk homeless person who was, like, a bit of a character in the, in the show. And I was like, I want to be, like, the drunk homeless guy because I think that would be, like, <laughs> it's just so random. But that just shows because I just wanted to be somebody else a bit. I just wanted to, like, play with voices and, like, do silly stuff and be a bit of a clown, which was not what I was like as a person at all, but I just got to express that side of me. So I got to play the drunk homeless guy. Uh, who was who was pivotal to the story, but just a smaller part. <laughs> I bet it was very memorable. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, people talk about it still. It was just amazing. <laughs> but yeah, so I kind of did both. But I think it, people who knew me growing up, they'd be like, oh, yeah, live live sings you know that that was kind of the thing and you grew up in Norway and and I've been out to kind of the your family type home which isn't necessarily Oslo you know the bustling big city it's kind of out in the countryside how how was that kind of was it a big leap to imagine yourself one day kind of being in a big city and doing it professionally did did it feel like a achievable goal or something quite far away it was Kind of both. It was far away, but it was the only possible outcome for me. I always pictured myself in like New York, like a big city. I always wanted to go to New York and like do shows and whatever. And I I think it was maybe not quite clear exactly what I wanted to do, but I think I was thinking about, you know, Broadway or whatever it might be. And, And I just, I knew that I'd end up somewhere very, very different from where I grew up and I kind of um, got lost in like TV shows and films and all that stuff. I was raised on that stuff and that wasn't really something that my parents, they weren't like, yeah, go go watch some TV. Like they didn't necessarily <laughs> condone uh, that, but I just, I loved it so much. And that's, that, that's, I think, how I learned English from such a young age as well, because we do have it in school, but, you know, just the basics, but I was just watching like films all the time and musicals and stuff like that and kind of picking it up and singing the songs and that sort of stuff so I just I think I knew that I was going somewhere else I just I don't know where it came from but I just knew that and so when you were um I don't know in your coming coming up to late teens where those those decisions start to become quite real had you been performing in shows or had you been writing music kind of at that point in your life were you quite sure of what was the next step was so when I was a teenager, so I, I didn't, as I mentioned, like I didn't really sing solo and stuff. I just did choir stuff or vocal groups. I was in a vocal group that did really like cool stuff. But then I kind of got into singing solo when my music teacher, basically, I've talked about this before in interviews and stuff, but she kind of tricked me into performing. <laughs> she kind of <laughs> tricked me into doing a solo uh, performance, which I'm very grateful to her for now. So that partly kind of made me go, oh yeah, I can sing on my own, but it was m- just as much that I was writing songs at that time. I was listening to a lot of music that I just thought I I can write that kind of music. So I would just go I'd just go into a room and just write about what was going on in my life. And that's another thing that's really interesting. I think we spoke about it earlier on in the series, but stuff that you are not made do by anyone, I think is always really fascinating because I was, nobody said like, oh, you should go and write some songs on your own. Like nobody kind of made me do that. It just came from from me. And so I would write songs and that I think that really drove me to want to do something with it more the songs rather than just my voice you know because I knew there were so many great singers 
Um, and I knew that I wasn't the best singer I'd ever heard, but I knew that I had some songs that were just mine and that nobody else had written. Uh, yeah, so when I was a teenager, I'd, I'd got these songs and I thought that, you know, they're not the greatest songs in the world, but I feel like I have a lot more songs in me that I could just keep writing, keep writing. But I also wanted to act. So I was like, okay, where do I go from here? And at the time I lived in Belgium because I lived in Belgium for three years and um, my family was going to live there for another year, but I'd... I was about to finish school and I said to my parents we had this big dramatic discussion about it because they they're very safe you know they both have like very safe jobs and they kind of go being a singer is not a job you know being a songwriter is not a job which with this podcast I think we are kind of proving is wrong <laughs> and I think they realize that that's wrong too but they were just worried about me and my future you know so they were like that's not really a thing Liv <laughs> you know and um, I actually initially wanted to go to Lipper in Liverpool because uh, for some weird reason it's got like a really good reputation in Norway uh, so tons of Norwegians have gone there because you get both music and performing and acting and all that sort of stuff but I kind of basically what happened was my parents won the discussion and they said we want you to go to university for like try it for one year do something that's not singing or acting and see how you get on and I had no clue what I wanted to do. I was like, well, if I don't do that, like, that's literally all I'm interested in. And the only other thing that I was, like, good at was, well, maybe that's a bit hard on myself. But, yeah, the the other thing that I would kind of stand out in was languages. So whilst being in Belgium, I'd learned French really well. And I was like, well, I guess I could, like, do a degree in French. I had no idea what I could do with that. Uh, still to this day, I don't really know what the idea was. <laughs> But I moved back to Norway and went to university in Bergen for a year and did French. And it was the probably like the, the worst year of my life. Really? Yeah, I think. And, and I don't blame anyone for that. I met some lovely people there. Another great choir that I was in, uh, which I spent all my time doing. Like I spent more time singing in a choir than I did studying. Didn't even do all my exams at the end of the year because I just I was so like that's probably the the closest to like depressed that I I've been in my life because I just had no purpose no reason to get up in the morning and I think that sometimes if my job now or the stuff I do now is hard I just think back to that because at least now I get up in the morning and I'm kind of just stressed but I'm driven at the same time I want to get it done but then I would just have no reason to get up in the morning I didn't see any point to what I was doing also if you're interested in languages don't go to university man just go to the country where they speak it because that's how you're gonna learn like university is not gonna teach you to to speak a language well but again it's like talking to you just just before about the the toughest times just really highlight what it is that you want to make happen and so I was like, this is not going to, I cannot do three years of this. It would absolutely kill me. So after a few months of, of just, you know, being in university, kind of showing up to some of the lectures and skipping some of them, I auditioned, well, I applied for a musical theatre diploma, which is two years in Oslo, uh, which is quite well known. It, anyone who did musical theatre in Oslo or who was Norwegian and did musical theatre had gone there. And so I applied to audition for it and then they invited me to audition. Yeah, so I just travelled to Oslo, like a seven-hour train <laughs> to Oslo. Didn't tell my parents about this. I didn't say a word. I auditioned and it was just this 
it, it all ties in with talking to you about the stuff that, you know, being ready, not being ready. I don't think I was really ready either. Luckily, they kind of made me ready. It just showed me how clueless I was when it comes to the world of musical theatre, for instance, because I just wanted to sing and act. I didn't necessarily want to be a musical theatre performer because that's that's like a totally different thing. Mm. And so I came there and I had to have a monologue and a song and stuff like that. And I was like, I've never had a monologue? Like, from what? <laughs> you know, like, wh where do you get a monologue? And, and what song? And I just thought it had to be a musical theatre song and it had to be translated into Norwegian. It had to be a song that had been done in Norway, performed in Norway. So I was like, well, that really narrows it down. I thought, because I was so clueless, obviously now I know that tons of shows have been done there. But um, so basically I did my first audition. I did The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow from Annie, which obviously I'm like, well... Perfect like, casting. Perfect, perfect casting, yeah. I mean, just like, I've got the perfect hair, <laughs> Um, I mean, I know we want to be a lot younger, but yeah. <laughs> that is really pushing, isn't it? It's like I'm pro oh, at the time I was at least like, yeah, ten, at least ten years too old, if if not more, and um, just just so random. And I sang someone come out tomorrow. I don't even know what monologue I did, but it was something weird. <laughs> and I remember, so my audition finished, and they all were very polite. This whole big panel of people. I've never, I'd never done an audition before in my life. For, the, for anything other than like my vocal group which doesn't really count you just have to go in and like show that you can sing but this was in front of a panel of people and uh, they said okay thank you so much you know they were very polite and uh, and I said okay thank you and I had no at the time I had no idea I couldn't tell whether that was a good or a bad thing but they'd let me sing the whole song <laughs> bless them and they'd let me do the monologue I walked out and I walked down all these stairs because the audition was like top floor and as I came to literally the last step and about to open the door to go out, this girl who was training at the school, but she was assisting with the audition, she came, sorry, Liv? And I said, yeah. Um, so we had a no-show for the, for the next audition and we were wondering if you could come back up because we want to see a bit more of you. And I was like what does that mean <laughs> wow which is so weird to think about now i can't believe that they even gave me more time uh because i was clearly pretty clueless but i'm wondering to this day i'm wondering if there had been a show for the next person in line and they hadn't had time to, to see me anymore if they would have given me a chance or not. But they came, they came. I came back into the room. They were like, yeah, we just want to see a little bit more of something from you. Can you sing that song again? But as if... And then they started directing me, basically. They kind of went, like, sing the song as if you are, you've lost all hope, but you're going to sing it anyway. All that sort of stuff, just to see if there was any acting through my singing or any singing through my acting, basically. <laughs> just whether I could do both at the same time. And uh, I think I really just got in, basically I got a second audition, I got through that and I got in, but I think that just, I got in, I was very lucky that I got to have another go on that same day, showing them that I could do a bit more, or that at least I was ready to be directed because I was so not in that world. But don't you think, I mean, having, it's a bit like what you asked me previously, is that the fact that you were doing something that was driving you to feel that directionless and and frustrated that nothing was happening 
that I mean it's incredibly brave to just on your own hop on a train to an audition having had no experience of that do you think it was that that spurred you that that feel that feeling of being down a path that was not meant for you drove you to take that chance 100% I had nothing to lose I had absolutely nothing to lose and that's even it really helped me because we spoke about nerves and stuff like that and I often get nervous in auditions and stuff like that but even then I was I remember not being massively nervous because I had literally nothing to lose I this I was stepping into a world that I knew nothing about and it almost felt like I was in a dream where you kind of just if you realize that you're dreaming you go I'm just gonna go with this and it was like that you know when you step into a room yeah so at the time I was like probably 19 something like that and just stepping into a room going oh there's a panel of like eight people here this is bizarre <laughs> you know uh this has never happened in my life before they're all gonna watch me sing but yeah I had nothing to lose like it could not get any worse I mean obviously like not on a global <laughs> scale I'm talking in my life like it, it couldn't get any more pointless than than what I was doing at the time so if I didn't get in I would maybe just I, I would have looked for somewhere else to try and train or some other, you know, I'd try and audition for a random show or something. I was not going to stop. And it just highlighted to me how important it was to me. You know, it's really interesting to also remember that your story of how you, you know, you, the fact that you count yourself lucky that you got to go back in and do it again. It reminds me especially that it's it's not that you had the perfect song and the perfect monologue and you looked perfect and then you got in. They saw something in you that was worth pushing to find out because you don't necessarily have to be perfect to, to be good, you know? And the fact that your story of how you got in will be completely different to probably every other member of your year group and every other person that's ever trained in anything. There's always a different way round of doing it. So the fact that you had that fire in you to just even go there you know showed them that there was some there was a twinkle of something that they wanted to to see more of so you then spent was it two years that diploma two years doing musical theater which is interesting because then you ended up at the Guildford School of Acting so how did that how was that transition yes it's also bizarre thinking that I did musical theater for two years then I did acting training and then now I'm singing (laughs) but it kind of all makes sense in a weird way but yes so in um especially my second year we had we had to do some more classical acting kind of stuff we had this amazing tutor who did just acting with us and uh she was at the time she was late 80s she's now sort of mid 90s she's still alive she's still going strong she looks the same and um, she directed us in a couple of like short plays and stuff and really just worked on sort of the crash course of, of method, you know, because we didn't have that much time because we also had to do ballet and jazz and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But with the little time that she had with us, she tried to teach us to actually act <laughs> instead of just, you know, performing. And she she said to me one day that, you know, I think that you could be a really really great actor so if it's something that you're interested in I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you you have to go to the UK because that's the only place where they have decent training <laughs> and I said well they have drama schools here in Norway and she said yeah but it's not really you know? <laughs> she, she was very direct Eastern European woman she's incredible and uh, yeah so she she basically was the one she said you have to go 
to the UK if, if you want to train in acting. And I think that you could, you do what you want, but that's my opinion. And um, and so, well, to, to me, her word was gospel. Like she was just so fantastic. And I was singing at the time. I was writing songs and that sort of stuff. But for some reason, it's a bit like you talking about how people can become actors on other in, in other ways than just drama school. And I also think that there's fantastic training in music and songwriting. You can train in songwriting. But for me, for some reason, I knew that for what I needed was drama training and that the other stuff, the music, I could... If I had, if I got to live two lifetimes, I would have wanted to train in both. But since I had to choose, I was like, well, I want to do the drama training and do the music on the side. And so that's that's what I did, basically. I auditioned for the one drama school in Norway, which I've mentioned in the episode about rejection, that I didn't even get a recall. <laughs> one, like, I didn't get a single recall from them. And then I auditioned for the Guildford School of Acting and got in to that and um, and then it was just no question. It felt like, and I don't think I'm just saying this retrospectively, I, th- I think at the time it felt like that was the first step to going to wherever it was that I was going to go. I just knew that it made sense that, you know, going to a different country, kind of doing things on my own. And so never hesitated when when I got that offer to, to go to, to GSA. And it was so interesting because it was a bit of a... a crossroads for me it felt at the time because I remember the day that I'd been told that I got into GSA I got a phone call from a number that I didn't have on my phone and it was this guy scouting for for singers for the X Factor in Norway and he was basically saying somebody's seen you perform and they thought that you'd be great apparently you do like you write your own music and stuff and we'd love to like you know, because this is what they do. Like, I don't think this is a massive secret anymore. They scout people to get to a certain point in the competition so that they have some people who are proper singers and not just the weirdos, you know, <laughs> kind of go to the open auditions. And I think, I mean, now I, I would never do a, a competition now, like a TV competition. Uh, it's fine if people do, but I would never do it for me. Uh, but at the time, maybe if I didn't really know what I was doing the next year, I probably would have been like, yeah, let's do it. Let's yes. do the X Factor. felt like a door opening. Yeah. Exactly. It's a possibility, isn't it? But since a couple of hours before, <laughs> I'd been told that I was going to England. You know, you know, the amount of times that you just hear that happen, it's things happen like on the same day. They do. Mm. I've had that happen to me before where I've been at a final recall and got an offer somewhere else on the same day. It's it just yeah. it's like the universe just clicks something into place. Like, well, it's meant to be now, so it's one of these things. Have them. Yeah, like make your make your decision, or it even highlights to you like this is this is when you choose where you go next. Yeah, and then so you just packed a bag, moved countries, came to England, uh, Surrey as well. Not even just you know England, pretty Surrey. Yes, and um, spent the next three years there. How did you find that? Are you glad that that was your way where you ended up? I'm really, really glad. It it just um, shaped me in many ways into the person I am now, and that doesn't mean that all of it was great. Maybe because so much of it wasn't <laughs> wasn't that great. That's what shapes you. I loved it, you know, when I when I look back, um, I just really loved the training. I mainly just loved the people that I trained with and learned so much from them. But I think that, yeah, I just needed it. I needed time to understand who I was and what I was doing. And then oddly, I kind of needed those three years of just focusing on acting 
so that I realized how much of an amazing escape songwriting was for me because I would go away if I had 15 minutes to myself I'd go into one of the rooms with a piano and write so it was clearly like something that I just had to do it was in me and uh, sometimes people would come by and they'd be like oh what's that what, what is that you're playing and I'd be like oh nothing you know like I wasn't quite ready to, to show people but it helped me become a better actor but it also just gave me a bit of perspective when it came to the songwriting that that wasn't going to go away anytime soon a few things that you said just from me talking to you here i don't know about you which i mean everyone listening will um, be sure will be enjoying it all and i'm so in- intrigued by it all because you'd think you know eight or so years of friendship in the way that we have i'd know most things but i know that when you had said you were going to go and do a gig in london and performing i did not know you were going off sneaking into rooms and and writing songs it definitely didn't know and and I think it's a really massive, I've always thought this, hugely brave thing to write and then bear that to the world in some way, whether it's in a pub somewhere or, you know, on Spotify to tens of hundreds of thousands of people. So when you came out of drama school and you were, you know, you mentioned to us you were going to do a gig, what was that step in your mind thinking, I'm ready, I feel brave enough or I feel ready enough or people need to hear my music. What was that kind of motivation to finally perform your own stuff? I think it's kind of hard to to pinpoint. I mean, the first thing that I got when leaving drum school was a musical and it was a very small fringe thing. Uh, but it was a very enjoyable experience, nonetheless. It was, it was. I was kind of the lead in it, and it had some really lovely songs. And it, I knew it wasn't really going to go anywhere big. That wasn't really the ambition of of the guy who who'd written and produced it. But he just wanted to put it on, um, and it was like it was proper, like you know, upstairs in a pub kind of performance. But that to me, I was like, oh yeah, I can sing, you know, because that's that's one of the things that I really struggled with at drama school that I had a lot of my confidence in my singing taken away from me um and that sounds a bit bitter when i say that but just want to be honest about it mm. because we we had all these singing uh tutors and bless them they were trying to help but they were a bit sort of like one size fits all in their approach to it because i think most of the time they would train musical theater performers and that didn't really work on us because we as actors were kind of more individual in our way of expressing ourselves and our voices and stuff. And so I felt like whatever I did was wrong, like literally whatever I did was wrong. And in the end, I kind of felt like I'd lost the ability to sing because I was trying so hard to do all of these things that they were telling us to do. And in the end, I was like, I'm. Uh, how did I ever think that I could sing? I'm such an idiot. I can't believe it, you know. And then when I auditioned for this this musical, because I was actually contacted, which is probably why I auditioned in the first place, because of how I felt about my singing at the time. But I was contacted because the, the lead in this show had to be Swedish. So they wanted somebody who could do like a Swedish, a, a slight Swedish accent and stuff like that. And at that point, I was like, well, I'm just going to show them who I am. I just sang a country song in the in the uh, audition, like not like country country, but just like a country ballad that I felt really comfortable singing. And they loved it. They just loved my own voice, like not belty musical theatre voice just Liv's voice when she sings about something emotional and so that kind of gave me the confidence back a little bit and I knew that I had some songs that I thought were good so 
it's it's weird because my confidence in my songs has always kind of been there. I've always known that I've got some songs that are not great, but some that are. And uh, and I don't really feel embarrassed to say that, weirdly. But with my voice, I've gone through all of these different, you know, like, can I even sing? But yeah, so I think having performed on, you know, on stage, singing, leading the show, and then having the songs, I was like, this has got to come together. And it was also, I mean, I'm not going to lie, it was also like being without acting work for, for quite a long time too, that you kind of start going, well, I want to do something with, with my own talents. And uh, started playing some of my songs to my housemate um, at the time who also trained with us. And she was like, this is great. <laughs> like, I love it. And she agreed that, you know, people should hear it. And so I just uh, did did a couple of like really low key London gigs where literally the only people who came to see me were you guys, my friends. You know? <laughs> it is incredible. I mean, I kind of want to dedicate a whole different podcast <laughs> episode just to finding out about how you've done your music because it's so. it's been six years mm. of kind of hard graft, writing stuff, producing your music, finding the right label and management and band and, and developing mm. to the performer and artist that you are now and by the time we get to series two, three, four, you know, it's you know, we're going to be in different places, and I'm really excited to see where it all where it all goes. But from that that gig I came to, where I mean, it was like a ping pong. I think we might have mentioned it before. Kind of, I don't know, one of those pubs where they're playing table tennis, and uh, everyone was chatting, and you were there with a the guitarist at the back, and we were all there, like, can everyone just shush so we can hear? <laughs> um, but I was so impressed. I think we were all we were like. Liv sings like she doesn't just she doesn't just sing like anyone else she's got a really unique you know voice and style and story in her in her music which I think I still stand by is one of my favorite things about your music is that the stories that are in them I absolutely love them and cut to now I mean there's going to be a massive gap here because so much has happened but you've now released an album yes um how in like brief words I guess how has that journey been of kind of I'm gonna do a gig to now I'm releasing an album on Spotify I think just like nobody stopped me so I just kept <laughs> doing it so I just I was like okay I'm just gonna keep going until somebody tells me like Liv this is really rubbish and we're not gonna come anymore was there ever a feeling that that might happen um not really I just no I think with the music I just kind of kept going I think that confidence in my songs has just kind of got me through because I don't always feel that confidence in my performances and I think that's sometimes where I just go oh, I don't really want to be a singer anymore but I've never thought I don't want to be a songwriter anymore I literally have never thought that and and when people go oh I just wonder if maybe this is the last good song I'm going to write and I'm not going to have any more songs in me I've never felt, I've literally never felt that. I just want to point out, I do still write crap songs. Like that's not, that's not an issue here. Like I do, but I just, I feel like there's more to come. You know, I just never go, oh, I've, I've used it all up. And I think, so, so the songs were kind of driving all of it. I just wanted to, to perform the songs. I wanted to get the songs out there and different people kind of caught on and different people kind of went, oh, well, you know, you should work with so-and-so and then, uh, before I knew it, I was, you know, recording an EP, my first EP. And I mean, both good and bad, because sometimes like when you are an artist and you do your own music, a lot of people get involved and a lot of people um, want to tell you how to do it and how you should do it. 
And that has been good and bad for me because it's driven me to to do something like record and stuff like that. But it's also kind of got me, it's moved me forward and wasted my time at the same time because that happened a little bit with my first band. I kind of got involved with these guys who who had worked on, you know, country music before and they were like, oh, this is, she's doing country music. We want to work with her. And they then, you know, helped me record my first EP and then you know, and I don't know what I would have done if I didn't release that first EP because it kind of snowballed everything else. But then at the same time, they weren't quite the right people to work with. So I had to to let them go, uh, which is really like painful to do. And then kind of went through that again with, with a second band, which, which were not right either. And I had to like let them go. And like all these people, it's so funny when it comes to music and the music industry because so many people just think that they know how it's done and then they tell you how it's done and then you believe them. And then you kind of go after a while, you're like, oh, you have no clue what you're doing either. Like, you're just as good Does as anybody, me. really does no. anybody. Uh, definitely not <laughs> at our age, definitely not. I mean, even now I would say I still don't know the answers. No. I mean, it's great. I love the fact that we can use this as a platform to to at least tell our stories and, and all the people that we've had on because they're all so different, but also fundamentally the same. Yeah. So yeah, but I exactly that. No one, re- everyone's kind of, wading their way through trying to figure it all out yeah i think the most clueless people are the people who think they've got the answers i think that we can all have some answers that might and this is what i love about podcast that you know some of the stuff that we talk about in some of the episodes are s- similar topics but i've had that with other podcasts that i listen to that sometimes you need to hear things said in it's the same thing but it's said in different ways and suddenly it clicks with you and you go yes that's what I need. So we've never, you know, kind of pretended like we have answers for people, but we know that the more we talk about our experiences, maybe it will resonate with somebody else. And yeah, I don't think anyone knows knows the answer, especially when it comes to the music industry, because no one has a clue. That's the only thing I've learned. <laughs> I mean, it is it is to me really incredible to see you develop as an artist and not only in your writing and the music that you're putting out there but also seeing you on stage you know as a performer being the live austin and i jokingly always say the live austin but you know on stage you are you are the the artist live austin you're not live austin you know having a cup of tea in the kitchen it's slightly different how are you stepping into this new person and where where might she go where's kind of next for you yeah, it's it's funny how Liv Austin has like kind of become, and this sounds so millennial and horrible, but like become like a brand. Because I kind of talk about that now. Well, that doesn't quite fit for Liv Austin. And I'm not talking about me in the third person. I'm talking about the, the brand. And I think that's, it sounds bizarre and like I've lost the plot when I say that. But actually, I think it's a good thing that I see them as two different things because I am myself when I perform, but I also can't be her all the time because I also just want to like be myself with no makeup, like right now, like with you and, and just kind of be off, you know, not be on. But I think that it's really, it's really fascinating as well. I love, I, I, I'm so interested in marketing and PR and perception and all that sort of stuff and how you can create something that's real 
but it's only a side of something. So everything to do with Liv Austin, like obviously my my songs are very real, very honest, but then there's an image to it as well, like what photos I choose for my artwork and all that sort of stuff and how I look on stage and how I perform on stage. It's just a, a side of me that fits with the music. And what's next? I think um, it's really hard to put into words. I have it in my head, what's next? And I think that it's all driven by the songs. Like I have all these new songs that I've written. Some of them literally still just exist in my mind. And some of them I have like rough demos of them. But I think that the music that comes out is gonna dictate where I go next. I think also now that I've spent so much time like talking about our journeys and it's very clear to me like I'm saying now when you're interviewing me that the songs have always driven what I've done with the music I think that what I'd really really love is to go more and more into a life and a you know way of working where I write songs for other people because for me that takes away a lot of the um, stress because this is um, this is something that I try and make myself do and try and help or, or suggest to other people to do as well is to sometimes go if everything's really stressful if you if you're self-employed or if you're creative and you're really stressed kind of go and look at what are the things that I'm doing that actually bring me joy because sometimes we kind of lose sight of it it's like oh I've got to do this I've got to do that it's like it says who says says you right like you decide what you do even if you're not creative like any job you choose whether you stay in that job so for me when I ask myself that question writing songs is top of that list and so I really want to write for other artists which is something I'm doing at the moment and I'd love to to have more of that happen because I think that that's something that could keep me interested in music without completely losing all faith and hope in the music industry because I don't have to be so closely involved in it maybe. Has there, because I know we've done this um, to round off our interview. Oh yeah, I didn't do this yeah. with you. <laughs> I, I just, I felt like it's just a great way to finish it off, but mm. has there been a moment of you feeling like enough is enough in any of the respective creative, have you just thought I can't do it anymore? Has there been a moment that you have kind of hit a wall with it all. I'll, I'll try and like answer for the acting and the music separately. So I'm trying to think if, if I've had that with the acting. I don't think I've had it with acting, but I would have if I hadn't found the music. Acting, I love it as much as I ever have, probably more than I ever have because the pressure's off a little bit. But yeah, I love it so much because I get to do the music. And so, the you know, not everything is dependent on what I'm doing as an actor. So I think the music has saved my love for acting. When it comes to the music, I probably have had times, not when I didn't think I could do it anymore, uh, because as a as an independent artist, I was just kind of going, going, going. I was so driven. I, I was like not seeing anything else at, at a time. I was just so driven to do it. So I, it was very hard, but I was never like, I'm gonna give up. Ironically, when I had the biggest team and the most people involved, and and I remember saying this when you first interviewed me for the original My Amazing Mess, that one of my like biggest stresses was that I didn't have management, you know, and that I didn't have a team. And it was when I had like a radio plug, a, a management team, uh, my label, everything, that I was like, this isn't fun anymore because everyone's telling me who I am 
this is, you know, it's so funny that everyone ends up here, but everyone's telling me who I am, what I should wear, all that sort of stuff. Like you're saying, like, nobody's telling me, but nobody's telling me now, but I had to tell people that, like, you don't tell me what to wear. You know, I had this moment where we were in a meeting with a photographer that we were considering for a photo shoot. And my manager at the time, she was saying, like, yeah, it's very important that Liv is, is very modest and that, you know, she's she's uh, with all the clothes. It can be, like, cool, but, but we, she is very modest. And I was just sat there going, am I? Where's that I? come from? <laughs> yeah. I've literally <laughs> never used the word modest and maybe I'm misunderstanding you. But, like, I was just like, you're not speaking for me now. Like, I don't have like that's not a message that I need to get out that I'm as modest as can be and I was just like where where is this coming from you know and all these people who think they know and they think they have your best interests at heart and it was just so many voices and so many opinions and and so many opinions about the my look more than my music and I, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, nobody's talking to me about my music, but everyone's got an opinion about my videos, my sh- photo shoots, what I'm wearing on stage. This is not what this is about, especially me being driven by the songs. And so I think those were the times where I just like literally wanted to to get on a train and just go somewhere and like never come back. Just live in the country and like not do anything music related because it, they were taking the fun out of it. And they weren't meaning to, they weren't being horrible. They just, we just weren't understanding each other. And so, so yeah, that's that's maybe the closest I've been. Like when on the outside, I was doing the best, you know, to other people. They're like, oh, she signed a record deal and so-and-so and so-and-so. But I had to take that control back to, to find the joy. So yeah, it's ironic, really. And so, I mean, this actually, this question, I'm really intrigued to find out. Was there a moment where you're like, yeah, I've got this? Actually, I'll probably say the day my album came out. I'm happy that I can say that. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it's incredible actually. Yeah, because you'd think that that might be one of those days where people tell you like, oh yeah, my album came out, but actually I was really depressed. But no, I'd worked so hard to get this album out and people were telling me to push it back to 2019 and stuff like that. And I was like, no, I'm not having it. This album is going to come out now. It's of its time, it needs to come out. And I'd worked so hard on it. I'd written all the songs, I'd co-produced it, spent literally two years on this friggin album and I was so afraid the night before I was like when I see it on Spotify I'm gonna have the biggest anticlimax in my life and I'm gonna be upset and I'm gonna be sad and I'm gonna wish I'd done it all differently and then the next day I saw it in the morning I was on the train going into town I think and I saw it on Spotify and I just thought I have an album out And it was just like, I'm getting emotional now, like talking about it, because I was like, that is, no matter what happens in my career from now on, I did that. And it was not an anticlimax because because I'd been so involved in it. And so that is still to this day, probably like the the moment where I was like, this really just signifies like a a change in my career because now I'm that kind of artist who's who's released an album it sounds maybe silly but I just grew up on albums you know and and just having had such a hand in it as well 
not just going into a studio and singing 12 songs written by other people. It was just my baby. So yeah, I think that was the the day that I just knew that I, I was meant to do it. I could do it. If you have not heard this album, it is an incredible <laughs> album. A moment of your time, you can get it on Spotify and iTunes and anywhere else. Everywhere that we'll you put it in music, the show basically. notes. You're gonna find it everywhere. Um, but it, you know what? It is an incredible achievement to have done it and have done it in the way that you felt faithful to yourself and your writing and your brand as an artist. I think, and I know as as a music listener my tastes change as I grow up and I love listening back to people who released music when you know they were young 20s and I was my teens and they produce different music now but it was of that time and the album is exactly as you said it's going to be of now you know and it's going to always always feel like this and there's going to be many more albums to come I'm sure but it's been so interesting to, to actually sit the side of, of you and get to find out even more. Yeah, you've brought out some some new stories in me. Yeah, it's <laughs> honestly. And um, I would say you can find us on social media, but I think by now you probably have got our, our handles. But yeah, this is wrapping up the bonus episode for series one. Liv, thank you so much for joining me for the second half of this uh, episode. Thank you, Laura. This has been such a joy. I would, I'm going to finish off this series by saying what's been the, the through point for me is team up with people around you that are as excited to lift you up as much as they are themselves and just be around those people because you'll end up with a podcast like this or you'll end up with an album or you'll end up with a sitcom or something equally exciting and rewarding to be around those people. Yeah, definitely. And do things that you've never done before, because of course, you don't know how to do it until you do it. And that's what, you know, we are talking about with ourselves, with this podcast, separately with the other projects that we're doing. Like you don't know how to do it until you do it. Have an amazing summer. We will be back with series two. Um, We hope you've enjoyed this series. And thank you, Liv. Thank you, Laura. (laughs) Just press um, OK. I mean, we can cut this bit out.